0: So for those of you visiting us, um, we are busy with a series through the book of Ephesians. And we've landed now in this section in Ephesians on spiritual warfare. Um, how to do spiritual warfare, the armor of God, what does it mean? How do we um, apply this to our lives? And, um, and we are taking our time to walk through the, the armor of God slowly because we do need to um, clarify some key points. And especially because today there's so much confusion about what spiritual warfare is and how the battle is fight and and so today we are also just going to look a little bit um, A bigger picture as well of spiritual warfare next Sunday Zoom into what some specific schemes of the devil are that we should point point, uh, look at that and point it out So let's read together the text <clears throat> Let's read from verse 10 and we'll read up until verse 13 This is the reading of God's word Finally And having done all to stand firm it's a reading of god's word let's pray father we come to you with desperation in our hearts to hear you speak to us through your word through your spirit lord please give us clarity Um, help us to understand the battle that we are in help us to spot the schemes of the devil in our own lives and in our society that we may be able to stand firm against them lord So, Lord, please be merciful to me, even as I preach, Lord. Uh, Give me courage and boldness, and help me, Lord, to be clear as well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you are a Christian, or even if you are not a Christian, and you mention the name of Jesus, if Jesus comes out of your mouth, you must know something. You have an enemy. You have someone that hates you. That will be against you. The devil doesn't care if you're saved or not saved. If you are speaking of Jesus, I don't think the devil can read our minds. I don't think the devil knows who is saved and who is not saved. All he can say is that person is talking of Jesus, he's my enemy, she's my enemy. And that's the reality of this text, beloved, is that we are in a war, a spiritual war. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But we are wrestling against the devil and against these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And the sad thing today is how many Christians are in this war and they don't know it, or they're in the war but they think the devil is not a strong opponent. It's not going to be a real wrestling, a real battle. It's going to be easy. How many Christians have fallen? How many so-called Christians have been have been destroyed by the devil, outwitted by Satan? Listen to this text, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. It says, Paul says, we should not be, So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So, beloved, it's possible to be outwitted by the devil. It is, that's a possibility, especially if you are ignorant of his designs, his methods, his schemes. So don't fall into that trap, right? We want to know what are his main Ways of attacking us. What are his main methods? And that's really what Paul tells us in verse 11. Verse 11 is a key verse. Look at verse 11 again. Stand against something very specific in verse 11. Look at it. It says, Put on the whole armor of God. So, why do we need the armor? That you may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. That is the interpretive key to the whole armor of God. You need the armor of God to protect you from schemes. In the Greek, there it's methodias. So when we get our English word methods, you need protection from methods, plans, um, his tactics, you could say. So you don't need the armor of God to protect your house from sickness. You don't need the armor of God to protect your car not to get into a car accident. You don't need a bumper sticker that says protected by Psalm 91. You don't need to oil your house on the four corners of the room to ward off evil spirits. That's not what the armor of God is for. The armor of God is to stand against schemes, plans, lies. So I don't know how many of you might be in these kind of circles. And if you are, um, I'm not trying to offend you unnecessarily. But I remember the last election, there was a big movement of you know, trying to claim South Africa for God. And, and the, the only thing we had to do was to stand on the rooftop and blow the shofar over the city. And then when the shofar is blown, the, the kingdom of Satan will crumble, almost like the walls of Jericho, right? But there's something about all of those kind of methods that I think is lacking when we look at this text is that's flesh and blood. It's Trying to do flesh and blood kind of things to fight the spiritual enemy. And when we read the armor of God, it's, it's a spiritual war. It's our weapons are spiritual, as we will look at later, right? So this afternoon, we're only going to look at three points together. We can look at what are the devil's targets? Who is he mainly focused against? Secondly, what are his aims and his goals? And then thirdly, what is the battlefield? Where does this battle occur? So let's do the first one, the devil's targets. Now, there's a sense in which everyone is his target because all of us are created in the image of God. You don't have to be saved. You don't have to be a Christian for the devil to hate you because you're just in the image of God. He hates you. He's a murderer. So, but with that said, there's a special target. There's a target that he delights to focus on more because it has more impact in society and in our lives. And we can find that target when we consider one of his names. So some of his names tell us his strategies. So think of the devil. The word devil is, means slanderer or accuser. So that actually, the name tells us something about his tactics. What is his main way he will try to um, destroy us? Is by accusing us or even accusing us before God. What an arrogant angel he is, right? Before God, he can even come with accusation. He will accuse us to one another. Try to split us up, right? So that's one of his names. That's his tactic. But I think at the heart of who the devil is, is the name Satan. Which means adversary or to be against. And of course, the being that he hates above all beings is God himself. He's God's adversary. He hates him above everything else. That is at the heart of What drives him? You could say, this is the petrol in the tank that keeps him out of bed every morning. I'm going to see how I can frustrate, how I can destroy the kingdom of God in whatever way I can. Now, that's a useless fight. He hates God, but he cannot do anything against God. Why? God spoke him into being. And God is sustaining him at this very moment. If one second God would decide the devil's life ends, he's dead. God could do that if he wanted to. So this battle against God is not a fight. And yet he's still trying. He's still aiming all of his power against God. And therefore, he focuses on everything that reminds him of God, especially in the gospel and his glory. And in, in the book of Ephesians, there are three targets that the devil will have a greater delight to target. And the first one is the church. The first target, where if the devil would look at this place, he sees the glory of God, is the church itself. Remember, the church is what? The church is the bride of Christ. God is building the church to glorify His name, and Ephesians tells us the church is to glorify His name before the angels. Just turn back to chapter 3, verse 10, just to remind you of this. 3, verse 10 says, so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to whom? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The the church is a spectacle for angels and demons. In the church, we see the wisdom of God, the beauty of God. How Jew and Gentile, these two people that were not supposed to be able to come together, are now family, members of the same body. Just look up in 3 verse 6. It says... This mystery is profound. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Members of the same body. And partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what makes the church specifically beautiful is to see people from different tongues, different backgrounds come together. And we are one in Christ. And we are worshipping Christ. Jew and Gentile. So are you surprised... Why it's so hard to come to church? Why it's so hard to be a church? You have an enemy that wants you not to be that. You have someone that says, don't be a church. Lies to you. feels your bitterness against other Christians and says, that Christian cannot be forgiven. Leave the church. The devil's plan for us is isolation. Because at the church we see, when we stand together, the wisdom of God. So the devil has a specific, specific hatred. For us as a church. Second thing that reminds him of God and His glory is marriages. Marriages. Again in the book of Ephesians, turn to chapter 5, verse 31 to 32. Paul quotes Genesis 2 about marriage. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is a picture of Jesus and the church. It's a reflection of his love. When the devil sees a man loving a woman sacrificially, he sees something of Jesus. When he sees a woman respecting her husband, submitting under her husband, he sees a picture of the church and her adoration and her respect for Christ. And so, what will be one of his main aims, his main targets? Not surprisingly, Marriages, right? If he can break up this picture of marriage, he's breaking up the gospel picture before our eyes. It's not a coincidence that children who grew up in broken marriages find it harder to trust God as their father. Find it harder to believe in a God who loves them. Because their own parents didn't even love them or feel, feel like that. So, of course, that's going to be his main target. is marriages, Where do we see these tactics today? Right, the LGBTQI plus plus alphabet, rest of the alphabet, is one of his main tactics. It destroys male and female, destroys masculinity, femininity, and what it means to be a couple or married. If you look at most of the townships today as well, I think this is one of the main strongholds of the of the devil: broken marriages. Children are made handed over to the grandparents. And the parents just go and repeat. And that's why these, these, these uh, societies are so broken up. It's these there's broken marriages. So beloved, this is one of his main targets. And for us who are married, or for you who are going to be married, you have someone that hates your marriage with a passion beyond your understanding. He will feel your conflict between your wife and your husband. He will use your children to come between you and your wife. He will start whispering suggestions in your ear that divorce seems like a logical option. Wow, look at how she respects you. Don't you just wish your wife could have respected you like that? Wow, look at how he's with the kids. I wish my husband was more involved and suggestions in our ears. Fueling our already sinning hearts, already hearts that wants to do that, the devil just putting wood on the fire. Marriages are his target. Whether you're saved or not, if you're an unbelieving, a married couple, he's still gonna come for you because children growing up in that will find it harder. And here's the last one: the last target of the devil is individual Christian. So we have the church, we have marriages, but then we have we have. Specific Christians, individual Christians. And you, you get this feeling of the individuality of this fight in verse 12. Look at verse 12 again of chapter 6. Again, this image, we, we mentioned this last time. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Wrestling is a one-on-one thing. Wrestling is an up-close thing. It's an individual thing. And look at verse 13 as well. There's another clue, I think, there. It says... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in what? The evil day. That implies there might be a certain day or certain seasons of focused attack on you as a Christian, as a believer. And some seasons you're like on a honeymoon, right? It's like, wow, everything is just going so good. Like, I love the Lord. There's no doubts in my mind. I'm not struggling. It's just like as if the devil leaves you alone for a season. But... There's an evil day. There's going to be a time, season, years, maybe where the devil is going to focus on you. And therefore, his target is that. And have you ever wondered, if you look at just the media and just the world's um, impact in terms of um, yeah, the media, it's never Muhammad. It's never other religions that are really targeted as the enemy and as bad. It is always Christianity. It's always Christ. Have you wondered about that? Well, why would the devil attack something that is his own idea. Islam is the devil's idea. So why would he, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand? So if the devil would start attacking Islam, that's stupid, right? And Paul says all other religions are demonically inspired. Um, pagan religion is demonically inspired. Listen to 1 Corinthians ten twenty. Paul says, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons. And not to God. This is one of his main schemes. False religion, false gods. He's the father of lies. And he's the producer of, of false religions. But he's against that's why he's against us individually. He's gonna focus on us. Now, here's a wonderful comfort for us. Here's a wonderful thing to know. If we if you already just know the targets of the devil, if the devil's targets are the church, marriages, An individual Christian, there's a very basic thing we can do that will keep us strong. Okay, And the key is the word us. Stick together. Simply coming to church is a way to foil the plans of the devil because it's so much harder to live in your sin when you are in a community of believers, when you are hearing the word of God preached, when we are praying together. right? Speak the truth in love with one another. We have to watch over one another. We have to pray for one another. Again, if one of his main targets is anything that reminds him of God, that harmony, that unity, he's going to fuel our anger, our bitterness. If he can find any crack in our lives through our anger or bitterness, he's going to fuel that. So another way to say this is we should love one another stubbornly. Be hard-headed about your marriage and about the church, and about your own faith in the Lord. Be hard, hard. I don't care what happens. I'm going to keep loving God, my wife or my husband, and this church. Listen to 1 Peter 4 verse 8. It says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. You see, the devil doesn't want you to cover the sin. He wants, you, he wants the sins to be exposed. He wants us to keep a record of wrong. I remember you two years ago didn't call me for my birthday. <laughs> All right, Something as silly as that can be one of the schemes of the devil to break people up. So be stubborn to love one another. Be stubborn to forgive one another. If someone has hurt you, be willing to let it go. If you need to talk to someone, go. Right? Sometimes the issue is too big to just let go. We have to have these hard, awkward conversations with one another because we want to protect our love and our unity with one another. Of course, that famous illustration of where does the lion go, right? Or the cheetah go? Like, does he go for the whole pack or does he just wait for that one to sag behind? And that one is an easy target. And that's exactly how the devil takes us, right? Here together, it's difficult, but Just look for the one Christian that's starting to lag. The one that doesn't want to be in community or with one another. Easy target. So those are his targets. So now let's secondly consider, what are his aims? Um, When we ask the devil is scheming, or we say stand against the schemes, he's strategizing. We ask about what? What is his end goal? What does he want to achieve in our lives? Now here are three broad aims. Now, Again, I say broad because I don't think this is exhaustive. There's probably more specific aims. But the first and the fundamental aim for every person is this, to destroy your faith. To destroy your faith in Christ, in God, in the gospel. And we we see this this aim with Jesus and Peter. Remember in Luke 22, verse 31-32, very scary thing Jesus says to Peter. It says, Simon, Simon, behold... Satan demanded to have you, that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So we see what, what was the devil trying to do with Peter? He wanted to sift him so that Peter falls through and his faith stays on the top. He wanted to sift him in such a way that he doesn't follow Christ anymore. And by the way, he can use suffering to do that. And he can use money to do that. Good times. The devil will use anything. Good or bad things. Just don't believe anymore. Don't be so serious anymore about God or about him. That's his main aim with everyone. Fall away from Christ. Don't love him. Don't trust him. Don't walk behind him. But what do we see here in this very text? What is the encouragement for true believers? So for many false believers, the tactics of the devil works. He sifts They fall through, their faith remains on the top, and they fall away. They apostatize. But for the true believer, those who are saved by God, chosen by God, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Look at what this text says. Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, strengthen the brothers. Our Savior is praying for us. And his prayers are always met with a yes. Yes except in one occasion at the garden, right? We see that exception, not my will, but your will. But in this case, when the Son of God prays for us and our faith, it will not fail. No matter, we will be maybe damaged, we might be limping, we might even fall into heaven, or like 1 Corinthians 3 says, we've been saved, but like as if through fire, as if the Lord had to pluck us out of hell itself. But this is our encouragement. Satan cannot do what he wants with you. He needs permission from God. Remember what happened to Job. Job. Satan couldn't just go free range. He had to go and ask permission. What does Jesus say here? G- Satan demanded. Satan had to demand before he could do anything. So, for you as well, beloved, Satan needs permission from God before he can touch you. And that's our security in Christ. That's our security. That the same God that permits the devil to walk around like a roaring lion has died for you on the cross for your sins. That's the God who loves you, who's praying for you. Remember this promise, John ten twenty eight: I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's And I and the Father are one. So yes, beloved, be sober-minded. Don't take the devil lightly. Remember he's a roaring lion, but rest more in Christ than fearing him. Don't fear him. Fear God and rest in him. You are firmly in his hands. But that is his main aim with all of us, is to destroy our faith. Second aim is to destroy your usefulness for Christ. Destroy your usefulness for Christ. So if the devil cannot rob you of your salvation, he at least wants you to be limping or to be at least passive, christ and we see this with this imagery of the flaming darts right look at verse 14 um sorry verse 16 in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts now if you've ever watched a war movie what happens when a dart hits you okay it's not like you just keep on going okay now put on top of that a flaming dart and imagine that thing hits you now your clothes are on fire, or what? I don't know what. I don't know what happens there. Okay, but I can I can guarantee you it isn't pleasant, and you are not going to be normal. Okay, can we get an amen on that? Okay, amen. And that's his goal. He wants to shoot these flaming darts so that you would be out of the fight, instead of you fighting. Now other people have to carry you off the field and mend your uh, mend your wounds. So if the devil can stop you to look to Christ, worship him, he'll do it. If the devil can stop you to look to the lost around you and share the gospel with them, he will do that. There will be a million excuses why not to do that. Or if the devil can stop you to look to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, to share our burdens, to talk to one another, he will do that. If he can stop you to look to your family, your husband, your wife, your children, to love them, he will do that. He just doesn't want you to be useful. That's a second big aim. And the third one and the last one is to destroy our unity. Destroy our unity. There's something which both the church and marriages have in common it reflects the unity of God. Think of marriage the two shall become one flesh. Now, that's not just physical, that's emotional, financial, one in every area. There's complete unity and harmony there. Right, And the church is the Jew and the Gentile are now one. One church. So remember Jesus' prayer for us in John 17 verse 20. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Remember, just turn back to chapter 4 quickly, verses 1 to 3. The very first way we walk worthy of our calling is to walk in unity. It says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the, of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain what? The unity of the Spirit. That's what you and I, as Christians, must be eager to maintain. Protect the unity of the spirit. Why? Verses 4 to 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your core. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. You see, so God is a God of one. God is unity. Triunity: unity. Three distinct persons in one God. And that's what the church reflects. The church reflects this multi-bodied people. Coming together as one, working together, thinking together, praying together for the kingdom of Christ. And that, if he can destroy our unity, that's a massive aim that he would have accomplished in our lives. And that's something to note. In the small and the big, that's going to be one of his aims in our lives. To destroy our unity with one another. Let me close over the third point. Now, what's the battlefield? So, we've seen his targets. What is his main focus? We've seen his aims, main aims. But where does this battle take place mainly? And I think, again, we have a clue in verse 16. Just look at verse 16 again. It says, um, chapter 6, verse 16. All circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So I think here we have a clue. And I'm indebted to a a pastor called Tim Conway. He did a series on this, this text, and I encourage you to listen to that. It's a great series. And he said, okay, so here we see that the devil is targeting us with these flaming darts. But what extinguishes these darts, according to the passage? Right? It's faith. Faith. So, the easy thing to say and to ask is, what is the opposite of faith? What kind of a thing does faith extinguish? What is the opposite of faith? Right? It's doubt, unbelief. That would be one of the main tactics, the main ways, the main arrows that will be thrown against us is doubt and unbelief. And here's the key question now. Where does doubt and unbelief happen in our lives? In which area of our lives do doubt and unbelief take place? In the mind, right? In our thinking, in our minds. That's where the main battlefield is, is your thinking. That's why he's called the father of lies. Lies you can either believe or shun, and that's where it is. It's, it's yeah, the devil can plant a thought in our minds. He can tempt us with whispers of temptation. It's happening in our minds, and I want to show you two other texts where, where, which confirms this, which was very refreshing to see. It's Mark chapter eight, verse thirty-one. Jesus said, "I'm going to the cross." Okay, And he began to teach them that Jesus must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and and be killed. After three days, be um, raised, rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your what? Your mind... On the things of not on the things of God, but on the things of man. In that very moment, that Peter submitted to the devil in his thinking. That was why he said, "Get behind me, Satan!" For your mind is not set on God's priorities, on God's kingdom, on how God thinks, but on how man thinks. So that's the first. You see, this is where it's going to aim these darts in our lives. Is in our thinking, in doubt, in unbelief. Telling us the sin is better than Christ. Telling us you can sin because isn't God a God of grace? Right? Or reminding us of, didn't David commit adultery? And wasn't he a man after God's own heart? So, surely it's not that bad. You see what he's doing. Lying to you. Telling you of the sin of David and not the repentance of David. Or the suffering of David after he sinned. He's always going to give you the half-baked picture, right? I love that Hebrews passage says, The deceitfulness of sin. Sin lies to us. It tells us it's good. It tells you it's the best way. It isn't. It's literally better to die than to sin. Literally. That's the teaching of Scripture. Rather die than sin against God. But the devil said, no, you have to survive. How are you going to survive if you, don't, if you don't do this sin now? Who's going to take care of your needs? But this is my point. It's in our thoughts. It's in our minds. It's going to set our minds on the things of man. Here's another one. Second one is 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3. Paul says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Again, what do we see? Your Thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He you wants your thoughts to be distracted from Jesus, distracted from God, to have that sincere and that pure devotion to Him. Right? So, now I just want to clarify I think there's a lot of perhaps even natural unbelief, natural doubt that just comes from our own hearts and our own minds. But the devil is going to definitely feel that, he's going to add to those lies. Sometimes he's going to plant it there when it wasn't even on your mind. But the point is, I think by knowing that we have this enemy that fights in this way, we can just be more sober-minded about that. remember there was a big season in my life. I think it was when we moved here to Porch. And I was just so overwhelmed by thoughts of, I'm a failure as a pastor. Maybe I should just become a truck driver. You know, I should just give up. This is not my slice of cake or whatever you want to say. But it was as if it was just non-stop, non-stop. I felt like I was drowning in these thoughts. And just knowing, listen, I have an enemy that's fighting in this realm. And he wants me to be useless for Christ. He wants us to give up. He wants us to sin. He wants us to doubt and not trust God. It just helped me to say, okay, I can see this lie. I hear you, but it's lies. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. It's taking control of your mind. So, what is the main application of this? Is well, protect your mind. Think about what you think. Is how often do we just let our thoughts bully us? Right? There's this famous line from um, I think it's Martin Lloyd Jones: "Do not listen to yourself, talk to yourself." Okay, and the idea is don't let your thoughts just tell you what reality is. It's lying. Don't let your feelings tell you what reality is. No. So, talk to yourself. Oh my soul, why are you downcast, hoping God? Preach truth to yourself. Rian, isn't God sovereign over your life? Hasn't God brought you here? Can you not trust Him with your future? Stop believing these lies. Like, take yourself at the collar. Put yourself against the wall and say, I'm not going to believe this lie anymore. That's how you should fight. Stand against the schemes of the devil. Don't just be passive in this. By the way, do you know which book of the Bible Jesus quoted to fight against the devil? Three times the devil tempted him, and in three times Jesus said, it is written. Where was that written? In, In the same book of the Bible. The book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Can you do spiritual warfare with the devil if you only had Deuteronomy? And that brings us to our main problem with spiritual warfare. We are biblically illiterate. We don't know our Bibles. We don't study our Bibles. We don't read it for ourselves. We don't protect our mind with the Bible. It's as if the Bible is a category for your quiet times, but for your daily life and your anxieties and your problems or your future, they're just going to have to look for somewhere else, some, some other method or way to deal with those things. Beloved, the Bible is the way we fight. The truth of God must protect our minds. That doesn't drift off into extremes or even lies. Now there's an argument you can be made, make that every piece of the armor of God connects to the Bible. The first piece is the belt of truth, which is your word is truth. Okay? The breastplate of righteousness. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The gospel of peace. Where do we find the gospel? What is the gospel? We learn that from the word. Okay. Shield of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word. Helmet of the hope of salvation. Where do we find, know what is going to come, what is happening in the future? We find that in the word. And then the sword of the spirit, which is the word. So there's a sense where just... Take the word and you have the armor of God. You have every piece. And where does the entire Bible point us to? The truth. Not just, this is not just a truth. It's pointing us to the truth. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is God's window. right? So many people read the Bible like a wall. I've read it. Check. Done. Bible is a window that opens the window to see God's glory in his son. So pursue Christ. Follow Christ. Set your mind on Him. Have communion with God. Study the Scriptures. Be constant in prayer. And that's how we fight. That's how we protect. As we even do this together as a church in marriages and as individual Christians. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can study your word. and Even though this is a topic that is perhaps a little bit uncomfortable for us to hear, that we have this enemy that is against our souls, against our faith, against our church, against our marriages, against our unity. We thank you for the freedom that brings to just know these things, to be able to spot the lies, to be able to hear the whispers of Satan and to stand against that. To refuse to believe and submit under those lies. Lord, thank you that you keep us. Thank you that you are faithful, that you are interceding for us. Lord, we pray for us, um, specifically now, our church, Lord. We ask that you would be gracious to us and you would keep our, our unity strong. May we be quick to deal with sin. May we confront one another when we need to confront one another. Lord, let us be a grace-filled community that is quick to forgive one another if there's any offense or any hurt or any pain that we might have caused against one another. Oh Lord, but please help us to fight together. Lord, may we stand together um, until we see you face to face and when you come. Thank you, Lord, for, for this time. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name.